This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott. And I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, guys. Today we have a great episode with my friend Preston Holdren. And we get to hear about Preston's hunt down in Campeche, Mexico for oscillated turkeys. And uh, we get to hear some advice and some uh, different things about business and ha- how to handle certain situations from someone that is a very successful businessman, and it's going to be a great episode. Before we get into that, I want to thank all you guys, my listeners, for all the support that you've uh, given me uh, over the last uh, year or so, and I appreciate all the emails that I get at my email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I was just gone for about 20 days hunting Gould's turkeys in Sonora, Mexico uh, with one of our businesses, Colburn and Scott Outfitters and Gould'sTurkeyHunt.com and our hunters were able to harvest uh, 26 Gould turkeys. I believe eight of them were harvested with the bow and the rest were, were shot with a shotgun and uh, that's the most turkeys we've taken uh, in one year. Prior to that, uh, we had an awesome hunt in New Mexico. I took my nephews and and uh, Dar took his boys and Hunter Haynes and um, we we had a, a great hunt in New Mexico. Harvested seven birds uh, with our friend Jeremy Googlemeyer of uh, SagebrushHunts.com. Uh, awesome time out there, and it's just been a fantastic turkey season. And I've got some great news. Uh, I actually. Got back from Gould's turkey hunting in Sonora, Mexico, and my wife says, uh, why would the Department of uh, Wildlife in Utah be charging your American Express card uh, $800? And uh, guys, I have drawn an archery elk tag in the state of Utah. I had 16 bonus points, and um, I'm pumped to uh, get in the elk woods myself and um, have a great time chasing bulls and uh, getting to see that country up there in Utah. So that's exciting. Uh, The Arizona deer and sheep draw deadline is coming up June 14th. Uh, Over the next couple weeks, we are going to be talking about Arizona deer and the different units we're going to be talking about and breaking down the Arizona sheep applications, uh, talking about all the different units as non-residents and residents and uh, Uh, Hopefully, you'll be able to pick up some uh, tidbits, and uh, it will help you on your application. Uh, I want to apologize. Apparently, the audio in episode 143 with uh, Chris Denham, the publisher of Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazine, uh, was not up to par. Uh, We are taking steps here to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Uh, Like I said, I apologize and I thank you for your patience. I received a few emails on it and uh, we're going to see if uh, we can not have that happen again. Uh, I recorded this episode with Preston Holdren. 
prior to turkey season and uh, Preston's just a great guy he actually came uh, on a Gould's turkey hunt with us last season in 2015 uh, and was able to get a couple really nice turkeys uh, I want to thank you guys the listeners I want to thank the sponsors Wilderness Athlete, Phonescope, Utah Hydrographics, Outdoorsman's Western Hunter and Elk Hunter Magazines, uh, and of course our title sponsor, GoHunt.com Insider, uh, for their support. And uh, you guys remember to contact these companies, uh, use the J. Scott promo code, and you're going to receive discounts. Uh, You're also going to hear different commercials throughout these podcast episodes uh, talking about your specific discounts with these companies, but... uh, I really appreciate their support. I'd appreciate it if you guys would support them. So uh, if you guys uh, would like to follow along our adventures, and this is the first podcast episode that you've listened to, uh, you can follow along on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, my associate Dar Colburn, uh, at Dar Colburn on Instagram. Uh, Hunter Haynes uh, has been guiding with us. Uh, he's Hunt Haynes. Uh, on Instagram and uh, you can follow along our website jscottoutdoors.com our Facebook page and our YouTube channel I just put up uh, most all of the turkey hunts from um, in the process of putting all of the Gould's turkey hunts from 2016 up I've got a bunch of hunts Uh, I've put the New Mexico turkey hunts up already and uh, I'm actually headed to Colorado so I'm going to be Uh, Back at my place there in Colorado on the banks of the Roaring Fork River. Uh, We leave here in the morning and um, I'm excited to get up there and get my boats, uh, get the rafts all ready. Uh, We've got uh, pretty good um, snowfall this uh, spring and it looks like it's going to be an average to maybe above average uh, snowpack. And so I'm looking forward to fishing some runoff, uh, getting up to the Green River and maybe catching some cicada hatch and, uh, of course, the Green Drake hatch there on the Roaring Fork River. And uh, hopefully it's going to be another great summer. Uh, I'm going to be getting ready for my archery elk hunt in Utah, so we'll have a lot to talk about over the next couple months. So let's get right to this episode with Preston Holdren. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camo patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at utahhydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. 
Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Preston Holdren. And Preston is a friend of mine that came and hunted Gould's turkeys with his friend Donald last year, uh, last May. And Donald and Preston were able to complete the Royal Slams. And uh, we had a, had an unbelievable time. And then uh, Preston and Donald also just went to Campeche, Mexico and completed their World Turkey Slam and got their oscillated turkey. So we've got a lot of things to talk about today. Preston, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Preston, uh, you have many businesses and you wear many hats, um, but why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a bio on on you and uh, what you do for a living, and then we'll dive into the uh, turkeys. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, I'd say my most recent uh, business that I'm in is I started with my dad about three years ago. He started. Uh, he made made some money for himself um, in the consulting consulting world, and we took some of his some of his money and started investing in private companies and making it and more in the tech space um, around apps um, and virality, meaning you know how things go viral. So we've been doing that for about three years. It's a family business with my dad my two brothers and myself um and it's it's great i wouldn't trade for the world and and you know we've also invest you know started a company called garland animal wellness that um is in the deer protein attractive space and that's just kind of a side project um that we're really interested in you know it doesn't make much money but uh but it's hunting is a is my um passion you know it's kind of something that's come out of us just investing in, in private companies. Yeah, and you know, um, uh, your partners with uh, EJ Fister, who is also a friend of mine. I've known EJ for, oh, at least 20 years, I would say. And EJ is an avid hunter and, and fly fisherman. And um, uh, Garland Animal Wellness, um, y- you know, you guys uh, produce some of the best feed uh, for nutrition for deer uh, that there is. Um, tell me a little bit about um, how that process works and how that company, uh, you know, has come to fruition and how successful it is. Yeah, so um, I would say it's a, almost three years. Uh, EJ was a professional golfer um, turned teacher and was trying not he's not quite out of it but he was trying to come up with something that he was passionate about and um and use his contacts uh in the i guess the southwest region so what we what we came came up with was come up with you know try to feed so there's a lot of large ranches over there that feed protein um and we've seen stuff on the market and just weren't crazy about it so we said, how can we do this better? Uh, and our first meeting uh, with a potential client, we met Dr. Harry Jacobson, who 
is a deer biologist out of Mississippi State and just really well known. And after getting to know him, you know, we've all we all came to the conclusion it's like let's let's come up with a value proposition where we um, we we put the best ingredients in, but also don't we charge somewhat of a premium, but also a price competitive. So, you know, with all that in place over the last couple of years, we've grown considerably um, year over year and then have gotten into concentrated minerals um, that, you know, we take soil samples and, and base, create a mineral for off that soil sample. And uh, I don't know, it's been fun and I've learned so much. And EJ is, uh, he's been great and he has really grown, grown the business and really proud to be a part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. EJ is a fantastic guy. And, um, you know, talking about deer nutrition, uh, you were explaining a little bit on the uh, Goulds hunt last year, and you were saying how important it is for the deer right now, um, you know, for the next couple of months as they, you know, start dropping their antlers, and then they begin here in the spring, start you know, early spring or spring, early summer, start growing their, their new set of antlers, how important it is for their body to be in, uh, you know, tip top condition. Um, can you talk a little bit about the biology of that? Certainly Dr. Harry, uh, would be much better, uh, to do that, but what have you learned as far as, uh, nutrition of an animal going into, you know, starting to grow their antlers? Yeah, so things, a couple of things that I've learned, and some things that we add to our product that really help. Um, one is you find a lot of products uh, on the pellet side that are too high in in both protein and fat. Um, so based on Dr. Harry's research and many others, uh, and I've read a lot about it, is you know our our protein levels are a lot lower than and then most on the market. Um, our fat levels are, are lower and our fiber, fiber levels are higher. And, um, and that all helps with the digestion of the product, but also they can only absorb so much. So by not, and they pass the rest. So you're almost waste, if you have too much protein and that, that is expensive for, you know, in the pelting process, it, it, it decreases, it decreases the, the cost of the product, but it also helps the deer not have to pass it so they can absorb more of the nutrients within the, the, the pellet itself. So like things that we add to our product are uh, yeast, diamond V yeast. And what that helps is it, it helps to, for the rumen to just to act better in absorbing nutrients um, and digesting, digesting the pellet in general. Um, and it also feeds the good bacteria within, within the rumen. So, and then, and, and then we use like, Trace minerals. We use the highest grade trace mineral packets, um, and 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 that and it adds to the the value proposition proposition I was talking talking about before. So your clients are people that have large properties and they're very interested in having their deer reach their maximum nutritional capability, and so you know you're. you're your clients are those that, uh, you know, deer management and nutrition of their deer is, is 
very important. How do you see the trend of those types of uh, people that, you know, want the highest quality deer on their property? How do you see that trend going? Um, so that's a good question because, you know, what's hurt us recently is the prices of oil, oil and gas. So you can imagine in Texas and Oklahoma, um, a lot of those people, their their number one job is around that industry. So it's hardest in some regards, but we've also added a lot of clients in the breeding industry, which has been a lot more difficult to get into only because that's some of their livelihoods. Like if there are deer breeders, that's usually uh, a, that's how they're making their money. So they're not willing to really take um, take any chances on what they're feeding their animals unless they have someone else that they can reference and we have a really we have good references now so we're we're, we're gradually getting more and more into that industry um, and and the one thing about deer breeding is um, whether you say it's right or wrong um, people do to it to make a living and we're trying to provide them the best feed possible uh, so right. we, we're seeing our deer breeding industry, uh, our clients increasing. Um, large landowners, we're trying to find people outside of the oil and gas industry that aren't being affected right now. Um, like uh, so, and, and so that's that's a challenge. But we're we're finding that we are find we are we are finding those types of people. And the other thing is, you talk about guys and outfitters that you know where they can feed in those states. I mean, every inch matters. You know, you get paid by the inch. So um, we're finding that to be lucrative as well. And and on top of that, we're trying to we're trying to um, get a smaller smaller sizes, like on the mineral, and we have a liquid too that has the minerals and the yeast in it, so that we can sell it commercially to you know to people hunters in states that they can use attractant and um, and supplement feed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you have had lots of people that have been feeding uh, your stuff and they've seen uh, the health of their animals uh, go up and which in turn, would you agree, usually um, goes straight into their antlers. If their body is healthy, um, you know, if, if, if over the last couple months and going into these critical months here, if their body is healthy and they're not uh, depleted after the rut and what have you, uh, they're able to hit the ground running, so to speak, and, you know, grow maximum capacity out of their antlers. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And one thing that Dr. Harry would say is you can feed them all you want, but if the, um, if the fat's too high and the fiber's too low and the protein's too high, you're going to create a couch potato. You know, you're going to be feeding them cupcakes and it's kind of like feeding them cupcakes and junk food. Um, and it does affect their antler growth. If, even if they're, they look big, doesn't mean that they're healthy. And it, it's trying to create, create a healthy animal um, and, you know, like a racehorse. Um, and then if that body is in the right condition, that, you know, all, everything can go toward, you know, the growth of the antlers will be next. So, and, and it's not just, don't think of it just as bucks. It's it's those too, you know. They'll they'll give birth to health healthier fawns um, and be able to lactate better. So it's it's feeding those fawns better. So it's not just the bucks. It's the overall overall herd, which then it leads to bigger bucks. But it's herd health is what we're looking at. So we're looking at a total nutrition plan for for 
for white-tailed deer. We actually feed some elk and longhorn deer as well. Interesting. That's uh, I'm sure that's a fascinating business. Um, you know, your family, you guys, uh, your dad and you and your brothers have been very successful in business in many, many businesses. And what do you think a key ingredient for listeners out there that are in their own businesses? I mean, to be successful in many different businesses, what, what do you think it takes, um, you know, from a business, business perspective? What do you think it takes to have longevity and to be successful across the board in, in many different avenues of, of business? And I'll give you my perspective, um, and, and obviously my, my dad and brothers have, have a different, but um, what I've noticed in the last three years specifically is is that you have to, um, especially in industries that you're not quite familiar in, is you have to talk to experts. You have to know that you don't know everything. So, um, you know, I read a lot. You know, I would just read a lot of articles. If we're getting into healthcare, and I have a little bit of a healthcare background, but if we're getting into healthcare and payment processing, um, you got to read articles. You got to read a lot of information, and then you have to try to gather experts and try to, you know, try to convince them to, to take some time and talk to you. Um, and, and podcasts are huge too. I mean, there's there's so many there's so many ways to digest new information and it's so you know it's so readily at the, our fingertips nowadays where it had been in the past so what i the biggest key for for i guess my current success is is just in, uh, digesting as much information as, as you possibly can about a subject um like for instance doctor being having listening to dr harry for an hour will save me so much time because he's already done all the research he's done he has all that knowledge, and him, he'd be able to uh, synthesize that information that he's gathered over 30 years way better than I can, you know, can read it or or try to understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly knowledge is 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 key, and being able to apply that knowledge. Um, and and you guys buy and invest in so many different businesses. Um, you know, you, you have to be able to, uh, you know, get gather experts together and, you know, then process all of the information that you've been told and be able to evaluate and look at a, a business to see if it's something worth putting your money in. So, I, you know, it's um, it was great to get to hunt with you down for ghouls and pick your brain about a lot of stuff. And you know, the correspondence and, you know, the times we've talked since then, uh, it's uh, always a pleasure to kind of get inside your brain and, and um, kind of see how your process works. And I, I know you take uh, your business uh, savvy and strategy, you approach your hunts and you approach the gear that you use kind of in the same way. You're a analytical kind of a research person like I am. And, um, you know, you, you try and uh, dot every I and cross every T and, um, you know, it's, uh, have you always been that type of a guy and wanting to, you know, if you do something, completely dive in and, and know everything that you can, you know, learn as much as you can about it? I think um, I've always been passionate about what I'm, what I'm interested in, um, but it's also, 
I think when I became, when I got out of school and I became a consultant, and a consultant is so vague, but uh, it's just, you know, helping helping businesses solve problems, um, and then you, and you just pick the industry. So we were on the insurance side of the business and helping ins- insurance companies um, uh, get government contracts, and uh, it's so vague. But what 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 that taught me was even if you aren't crazy about what you're doing is just put every effort behind what you're doing. Um, and there, you're always going to learn something. Um, and the great thing about consulting is you'll be on a project for a few months, maybe a year, but eventually they'll put you on a new project and you'll have to solve a new problem. And I, and I was talking to my, my youngest brother recently and, and, and he's, he's just in our, in our current business. But, um, I just told him, I said, uh, I was, I, I, consulted for eight years with some really smart individuals and they've taught me so much about how to take a problem and try to solve it and that and that passion that they had to just solving a problem no matter what the industry or what the problem um, has then made me more um, detailed even though I and I was detailed about my passions but even when it's not your passion you just gotta you have to apply that to to your daily life uh, the things that your wife wants you to do around the house, it just you know, it helps you to stay organized and, and get tasks done in a quicker manner. So you have things, you know, so that you're able to do things that you're really passionate about more, you know. Uh, more often. More often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, the, you know, the business that you're in and, and investing in other businesses and, you, you know, investing your money a lot of times you find a diamond in the rough that has, you know, is riddled with problems, but it just becomes a situation where if you can figure out how to make these companies more efficient, you can all of a sudden invest in them and turn them into a company that turns great profits and watch your investment, uh, you know, continue to grow. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, we're learning more and more and more. It's, it's, if you if you have even even if they're not trying to solve uh, the right problem, because what we're finding is as long as the management team is is really good and they're and they're very smart, if they're not if they're trying to solve a problem but they're not trying to solve it the correct way, if they're really smart, they'll be able to pivot. They'll be able and what I mean by pivot is they'll be able to solve it in a different way. Because gotcha. what we find the, the businesses that fail the most are the ones that aren't able to react. They are trying to solve it, and they're trying to tell people, they're trying to tell the industry how it's going to be solved, versus uh, the marketplace telling them how it should be solved and how they, how how consumers want to use it. And, you know, and I have so many examples of, you know, of of businesses that have failed because either they they figured out too late that they should have change the business model or they just never change the business model and they just run out of money. I mean, that's the biggest thing is running out of, of cash before you can get new investment or, you know, you get traction in what you're actually trying to do. I think too, with the technology advances and, you know, with the social media and the way that things are marketed now and, and um, I think companies out there that, uh, you know, weren't able to see the changes coming and, and, um, you know, you take like a big, huge company like Nokia, um, you know, and, and it, 
now they're not even around anymore. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, what is uh, Eastman Kodak and some of these different companies that they didn't see the changes were happening and they didn't see the changes and they didn't get out in front of them. And it's just amazing to see how our world, you know, quite honestly, even in, in, in you know, the industry of outfitting and, you know, some of the outfitters that don't, you know, uh, have an Instagram, don't have a Facebook, don't, you know, don't, don't, you know, post pictures and blog and, and, um, you know, don't interact, you know, they're, they're quickly left behind by maybe the younger generation that is real keen on technology and social media and how to relate to your customers. And all of a sudden the old time outfitters who have, you know, 30 years experience are wondering what happened and the reality is they just didn't see the change of technology and you know the the, the methods of marketing and pe where people get their information from and they're you know they're just left behind and they act eventually you know get weed, weeded out of the business yeah it's it's kind of crazy to see the marketplace change so quickly especially with the technology coming out um, for sure and people are definitely getting left behind and and, and if you and if a business wants to main front and center in front of its consumers, they really have to adapt quickly. Um, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's, it is how nuts. quickly it, I mean, even when I, when I was some 34, I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I don't, I mean, it, it's changed so much and I'm part of the millennials, but I'm on the outer edge, but someone that's 18 and how they consume, um, how they consume, uh, information is so much different than how I do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors. Tired of relying on out-of-date numbers, spending too much on hunting consultants and seeing too little results? With Go Hunt Insider, the old way of doing things is over. With the introduction of draw odds and filtering 2.0, you'll have access to the most accurate, up-to-date information in the industry. You can filter by state, species, trophy potential, weapon, specific days or months of the year, harvest success rate, male-to-female ratios, and much more. All of this leads to easily finding the best hunt for you. So what are you waiting for? Visit GoHunt.com insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Preston, I want to dive in here um, and talk to you about going down and completing your World Slam by uh, getting your oscillated turkey and um, was hoping you could kind of tell me about the process of choosing your outfitter and, um, you know, all the ins and outs of your experience down there. Yeah, of course. So, um, thankfully I had gone on a ghoul hunt with you, um, a year prior and you put me in touch with Kelly Morris. You said, I think he has a, 
a good outfitter that you should check out for the oscillators, knowing that I wanted to, to complete the World Slam. So um, I had I had, had gotten a hold of Cali and talked to him, and he said you got to go with this um, outfitter called Yukits. Yukits Hunting. Um, they're just out of outside of. They're in the state of Campeche, um, and and they're they're I think about an hour from the from the city of Campeche. So I talked to him, and I and then I got a second referral from someone that no one you don't know. Kelly doesn't know, and they said if you're going to go oscillate it, you need to go with Yukit. So I was like, done. And uh, I had booked for Donald and I, and Donald um, came with me and hunted with you um, on the Goulds, and where we completed the Royal Slam. So uh, the process was, you know. We're, after I had I had booked to hunt with Manuel, who is the owner and operator, um, and he and his son now somewhat runs the the show. When you get down there to the camp, um, Diego, um, just great people. The entire experience of just communicating with Manuel over over email. I never talked to him, but um, just him providing information uh, and, and letting you know how the whole process would work from you arriving um, to um, when you leave and what forms you need to get through customs. It was, it was seamless. That's awesome. And um, where did you guys fly out of and where did you fly into? How long did it take you to get there? So there was four of us that I had booked all the, I booked all the travel for. Um, we, two people were out of Mississippi. So they flew out of Jackson um, and then Donald flew out of Panama City, and I flew out of Chicago, and we all met up in Houston. There's one, tr- there's one flight a day from Houston to Mer- um, Merida. I keep on wanting to say Merida because that's how it's spelled in English. But anyways, uh, Merida, and that's a th- so you fly into Merida and you get picked up right from the airport. You go past uh, customs, and there's someone waiting for you right there, and they then. Uh, we picked up one other passenger who was on the same flight as us because there were seven in the camp at that. So we're four of the seven. Um, and they drove us to the hotel. So we stayed at a hotel. We stayed at a hotel that night, ate dinner at the hotel. I think we landed about 7.30 PM and we were at the hotel by 8.30, eight. And then they told us they'd pick us up at 8 AM the next morning. And there was two other individuals that had landed the day before. So um, next morning they picked us up and we headed to the camp and it was about three hours. After two hours, they, they stopped at a gas station for some drinks and first used the restroom. And it was only an hour from there. Um, and once we arrived, it was um, quite amazing. It's like, it's a compound in a, in a small Mexican town. Um, and once you walk in the compound, it's like a tiki, they're like tiki huts. <laughs> I mean, it's just really well kept. I mean, you'd be amazed. I, I mean, you know, you see pictures on on outfitters' websites, and and these matched up, if not if not better than what you saw on the website. Uh, so, what were your temperatures like, Preston? Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember. I mean, it was what Kelly Kelly Morris told us told me specifically. He said. Hunt in February because once you get into mid March um, slash April, it just said it gets unbearably hot. So we were in between 65 and 75, maybe 80 during the heat of the day. But you're not 
you're hunting in the morning for a few hours and you're hunting in the afternoon starting at 2.30. Gotcha. And so when you arrived, it was, what, midday? Did you guys get an afternoon hunt in that day or how did it work? Yeah, so we left at 8. So we got in around 11, 11.30. Um, and as soon as we arrived, we met all of the staff. So they had like three cooks. They had someone that um, cleaned the rooms. They had two bartenders. They had a bar, a pool table, uh, darts, um, music. They had a TV. We watched some movies um, a couple of afternoons. Uh, yeah, so we, we got there at 11, 11.30. We met everybody. And then we went and shot the guns at 12.30. And they, um, they brought out targets. And then each there and then there was guides so everyone had their own guide and so the, every guide had their own gun so when we went on shot targets which was maybe a mile or two away from the, the camp um you you met up with your guide they introduced your guide and then he gave you the gun when it was time your time for you to shoot you shot at 30 yards and they showed you that the gun was shooting all right and make sure you were on target um and once everyone went through that uh, we went back, and that was probably 1 o'clock, ate lunch, and then we headed out for our first hunt at 2.30. So we hunted that same day. So you had an afternoon afternoon hunt your first day. So prior to talking to Callie and a bunch of other hunters that have hunt, hunted down there, uh, the, the old way of doing it was uh, hunting in the jungles and, you know, shooting them off the limb, uh, shooting roosted birds. Um, but from what I understand, they've got these big agricultural fields and you build little, little blinds with machetes and stuff. And then you kind of sit and wait. Tell me about how the actual hunt went down and kind of what you were expecting and how it was different or how it was similar to what you thought. Yeah. So, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, Manuel told us the story. Um, he was there on like the first day and then the last day, but one of the days he told me the story of how he had come down there and hunted 13 years ago. And you're exactly right. He hunted it off off the limb, so he they would go in the in the forest and they would they would shoot him on the limb. Um, but but you're, again, you're right in the fact that there are you as soon as you as we turn I think probably an hour from Merida, there's huge ag fields and there it's mostly sorghum. Um, not sure why it's not corn, but it's vast the vast majority of the of the ag fields are sorghum and um, just to just to ask you a question sorghum is what it, i mean is that for cattle feed what is sorghum so yeah that's a good question uh, it, you know um i we use a lot in uh as, as bird feed it's a, okay it's a okay. small seed and it it's almost in a cone shape and the and it's probably um five feet tall when it's fully mature okay. and it okay. turns from green to red it's almost like a reddish color, um, and there's tons of seed on, seed on each plant in this cone shape. Um, and I and I have an interesting story about how how that kind of plays out with the oscillator later. But um, just just it, yeah, and there's just so much of it. I mean, the field I hunted. So I'll I'll tell you I'll step back and, and tell you how my first hunt went and and that afternoon. So we left at two thirty. Everyone gets in their own. Every outfitter has, or a guide has their own car, and um, the guns are in one in the lead out, our lead guide's car. So 
so you all go, I think it's about 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes to, to where, where you're going to hunt. And so we all head up, um, head out and, you know, outside this town and you go on some gravel roads, you go on some dirt roads and you're just passing these huge fields as you go. And then, um, and the lead lead uh, guide who I was with, you know, stops at as, as people turn off and they give him the gun because he must have like a, a permit of some kind, you know, to carry the guns on the right. major roads or whatnot. But anyways, um, we got to where we were going and it was so neat because you got forest, you got you got forest, and you got these these almost rock uh, roads, and you're going up and and. They don't speak much English. The guides don't, but they're the people in, in camp too. But he would—he was pointing out Mayan ruins as we were getting going onto this this private property, which is wow. you know, which is kind of kind of blew my mind a little bit. I didn't even think about think about that. Where you know, but I guess the Mayan ruins are are, are everywhere in that country. Um, wow! But we come down this hill, and we come to this giant field of sorghum. You wouldn't have expected to see it. Like how big? Um, I think it like I don't want to I don't want to overestimate it, but it seemed like it was like we got to a middle point and it was a mile to the left and a mile to the right, and it was probably um, 500 yards wide. Okay. And and but it just seemed like it went forever. And it, and it could have been bigger. It could have been a little bit smaller. But it see, that's the field we hunted the entire week. There was four. Which I found later. Found out later. There's four different flocks of oscillated that use that field in different different places. Sorry about that. Because um, they come from these these big forests and they come to that field to feed. Gotcha. So um, he parks his truck and and we walk down the the edge of the field and we come up to. Um, a blind, like well, like you're saying. I mean, they use the machete to create the blinds in in the in the, the tree line. And he had already created this, so we walk we walk in, and uh, before you know, then we sit down and you know put all get our, get all our stuff ready, um, you know, put face masks on, and and he brings out a video camera and kind of shows me this a video from a couple days earlier where they shot a bird in that same spot. Um, and so she, he showed me a video of, you know, how do you tell a mature gobbler versus a hen, um, which these birds are small. Like my, my, the biggest bird they killed last year was 12 pounds. Wow. Um, and so they're tiny, but their wingspan is, is the size of a regular turkey. And, and I've never, if you, what's cool to see is these, these turkeys fly. I mean, they get up like it's like they're a quail, you know, <laughs> like a small bird. It's nuts. And one thing they do, I wish I had it on video camera so bad, is um, they'll be feeding in the field in the in the sorghum, and they'll all get up at the same time, but straight up, like twenty or thirty feet, and they'll come right back down. Like they're, no it's almost like they're they they may have seen something. Or one of them may have seen something. They they probably do something. Like kind of doves noise. on a grain pile when they get spooked, they kind of fly up and then they fly back down. Right, but in the group, they're in unison. <laughs> it's 
it's the neatest thing I've ever seen. And, and I only, I only got to see it once. Um, some of the guys got to see it more than once, but man, it is just neat to see. So I would imagine with the field that big, you're probably thinking in your mind, how are we going to get birds to walk by us when they could walk anywhere in this field? Correct. So did you have decoys or anything? No, no decoys at all. It's just, they, they seem to like certain spots over others. Like this was in, we were in the, um, in the corner, in one of the corners and he showed me the tracks, you know, looked at the tracks there they were, uh, and we didn't see anything that night. Didn't hear or see anything. Yeah, and they not they don't make any like they don't really make any noise right now. Like they're they're flocked up. They don't start the breeding until I think mid March is what they said. So we didn't they were still they were still all flocked up. So the the gobblers are with the hens, they're just a big groups. Like some of the guys saw groups of seventy five. Um, I saw two groups of like 25 or 30, uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, but yeah, they're just big groups. Okay. So you and Donald were together or did you go separately? No, everyone was separate. Everyone had their own place to hunt, which was so neat. How did, I mean, everyone on how one did Donald do on his first night? Um, did Donald get, get no, uh, only one person got, got a bird the first night out of seven people. Okay. And he was done. And so the, the rest of the days, he was just, every time we would come back to camp, he was, he was drinking and just hanging out, sleeping. <laughs> he said it was a great vacation. But anyways, uh, and so then everyone, everyone came back and no one really saw any birds the first night, um, except that one gentleman, but he only saw one bird and he killed that bird. And it, I think it had an inch and a half spurs on them. Um, they don't have a beard. But they're just the most gorgeous colored feather. You know, their feathers are just gorgeous. They green and copper. Um, and the pictures are... were unbelievable of your birds. The the coloring is just amazing. Um, let's take another quick break here, and we'll get back into how you got your birds. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram, at Phonescope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. All right, Preston, so the you wake up the next morning. What time do you wake up? And... Um. Um, are yeah. you out in the dark or what are you doing? Yeah, so um there someone comes and knocks on your door at four AM and you you get you get picked up at four thirty. Um and then with the you know, four thirty five, forty minute drive, you know, you're there a little after five o'clock. Um and it's still dark and I I can't remember I 
wasn't really paying too much attention to the time, but you you still had half hour, 45 minutes before it got light out. Um, and you know, I didn't see anything. Again. We we were we sit in the same exact spot we did that previous afternoon, and we didn't see anything. And about eight o'clock, um, we we got up. Well, he got up and uh, he walked. He said, "Let's follow me." And so we walked. So we were we were at an end of a field, but there was still probably like let's say seventy five yards to the other side. Cause it like looped around, but we, if you cut a straight across, it was about 75 yards. So we went through the sorghum and when we got about, uh, 10 yards from the, from the other side, they all, the pile of them just took off. So we were literally feeding 75, 80 yards away from us. And you couldn't see them in the couldn't, sorghum. Couldn't see them, couldn't hear them. <laughs> They're just, they're just, I mean, they're just quiet. And what I found, uh, another thing I found out is they have, there's like seven types of cats that are after them that will eat them, including the jaguar and the mountain lion. Um, and there's three others. So they're on the dinner menu quite a bit. And I think mm -hmm. that has a lot to do with them. Like I, the way they flew up that, you know, they fly up 20, 30 feet to just see what's going on. Because these, you know, this the sorghum is, it hasn't been harvested yet, and it's almost fully mature. So I'm sure they get snuck up on, you know, on a lot and eaten. So right. uh, they're very skittish, and and I think that's the reason they don't make much noise. And um, and the little bit of noise that we made, they just took off. Just they didn't have a shot. But um, we found a new place to that they were feeding, and he said they'll come back. And so we built a new blind right there. Well, what is it? A hundred yards from where we were sitting before, um, and that's the blind we came back in the afternoon. But they didn't come back. So now you've gone the night and the first full day, and no shots, no birds. Right. Well, you saw and, you spooked stuff. And and everyone had killed at least one bird by the time that like the third hunt. So I'm counting, you know, a morning is a hunt and an afternoon is a hunt. So by the third hunt, everyone had shot shot a bird. Um, except for you. Except for me, right. <laughs> so you kind I, of feel like... Seen birds, and then, we, and then um, um, there was another guy that joined us because the first guy had tagged out that first morning, or the first afternoon. So we had another guy helping us out. So he... That evening, where we didn't see anything, um, he had set another spot that was, say, 500 yards down down the way on the same side, and he spotted birds that had gone to roost. Gotcha. So they feverishly created a new blind, in, you know, near that spot. Um, and that's where we went the next morning. And the next morning... Uh, about 7:30, we saw um, two two big toms, and they were um, they had walked. We we were like we could see down, and then it, there, it, it, it indented almost. So there was a spot where we couldn't see that was indented, um, or there was like trees in our way, and they, if they came around the corner, then we could see them. So these two came around the corner, and they started feeling it, feeding on a Milo. But the way they fed on the Milo is they jumped up and pecked at it. 
like they jumped up uh, like a foot or two off the ground and they would peck at the, the bio. It was really neat. Yeah. I actually got video of that I'll send to you. Um, <laughs> so then those two went back and we couldn't see them. And then um, about 10 minutes later, they did what I told you they, that they do. They went up about 30 feet and they came down. And we're like, whoa. And I'd never seen that before. I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, and then about a half an hour later, the whole group comes around the corner. And it was really impressive. Um, like how many? Well, yeah, like third, you know, we're on 30, maybe more. I, I have a video where I could count them, but it, it just it was a whole bunch of them. It was, and, and I hadn't really seen them on the ground and feeding and stuff like that. So it was just kind of neat to see. Gobblers time. and hens? Yeah, they're all together. And for some reason, every time that we saw them, the gobblers are in the front. For, I, don't, I don't know if that's normal or, or whatnot, but that's that's how it happened. And so did you, like, pick one with the longest spurs or just pick one that you had an open shot at? So Donald and I were talking about that. I was like, we got to be able to pick them, get out big binoculars. I had um, I had my 15 by 50s out. Like, I brought them out. But the thing is, they're, they're, they're so short. And they're in this, they're in these um, bio fields that you can't even see. You can't you just see. see the top of so their you, head. You just gotta, and even if, or you just can't see their legs because there, there's so many plants that they're on these edges, so the plants are smaller than they are in the, you know, as it gets as it gets more and more into the field where they're fully mature. So they'll screw it on these edges, but there's still plants that are a foot tall, but you just can't see their spurs. Gotcha. It, it's just it's impossible. So you have to rely on the guides. I mean, I highly recommend if anyone goes on this hunt, it's like if the guide said it's a big bird, take the bird. You, I mean, yeah, it'd be cool if they had big spurs, but it's just so impossible to tell. It's so. So you bla- you blasted. Is that when you got your so no. then you got your first bird no, on no, the no, whole no. flock camera? Yeah. So this this I didn't get my bird on this one. Um, the guy, the guy that I was with, he had a camera, um, and he kept them moving around a little bit and they did, they, they, they saw him, uh, move the camera once and they all just booked it into the forest. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, they were, they were, they were headed towards us. Um, and it's so exciting to see, you know, and I never saw, I never shot one or I'd never seen one close up. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, like, now that's over, and we got up, and then um, he we he saw some around the corner. He said, "Tried he had we tried to stalk them, but I knew that wasn't going to work, and it, it ended up not working out. They just had disappeared. Uh, but we came back in the same spot in the afternoon, and around five o'clock, a single bird comes around the corner, that same corner, and they're like, "Big Tom, Big Tom," and I was like, "All right." Um, and I, I shot that bird at probably 15 yards and it had two inch spurs. Yeah. But I had no idea, but just the luck of the draw is what it is. Wow. That's incredible. And so you got your gobbler and are you allowed to shoot two gobblers or one? So you, if you want to shoot two birds, you have to let Manuel know way in advance because he only has a certain allotment um so we had our we had he promised us all my group so the four of us all two birds we had eight birds total and he and we had that back in november and we went in february but there was 
uh, one guy was just one and one, and, and the other two guys, they had gotten they had gotten one permit each, and they were asking about two. But he's like, I don't have any more permits that are already taken. So my advice to anybody that wants to go there and you want to shoot two birds, make sure that you let him know because they go quickly. Gotcha. How was it at night sleeping? Was it um, nice and cool, or was it was it good sleeping, or was it warm? No, it was. Uh, you know, so we were there from the twentieth, February twentieth to the twenty, so the twenty first to the twenty sixth, and it was perfect. I uh, I actually had my fans on, but it wasn't too warm or too cold. Uh, it it was really nice. Uh, you know, the one thing you can't really help is there's a lot of dogs around the area just wandering around, so there's a lot of barking at night. <laughs> so bring some <laughs> dogs. Did you, um, what did you wear, your Tiburon? QU Tiburon? Or? Yeah. Um, so I, I wore my Tiburon. Um, I had that, that long sleeve and the pants. So I had two long sleeve shirts and the pants. And the great thing about it is I'd wear them. And if I, and there's, a, you know, in the afternoon hunts, a lot of sweating so i was able to wash them and they dry so quickly it's amazing yeah awesome so you guys got some unbelievable photos and what's that other bird down there that's like a black looking bird curacao did you shoot one of those no i didn't because all right so they used to hunt up in the in like the rainforest and they moved the camp to where it is now, um, and there's no curacaos. But they're trying to, I think, in the future, allow for a few curacao hunts if you kill your oscillator. So they take you up to another camp. Gotcha. It just they just don't. They're not around where the where their new camp is. Didn't Donald shoot a brocket? He did. He shot it though. I, what day did he shoot it? He shot it. I think the same day I shot my my second bird. So he, did he, you see some brocket? Um, I didn't. There were some guys that saw brocket here too. I the only thing I I saw were um, there's a bird called a chakalaka. I think it's called. It's a, it almost looks like a roadrunner, but it's like a tan roadrunner. And then um, I saw one um, javelina. I think that's it. But the, the my guide had video of a jaguar. He had he had filmed like a couple uh, a, few, a few weeks prior to us being there. Wow. Yeah. Like up close. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. That's cool. So you completed your world slam, and that's a heck of an accomplishment. So now, what are you going to do for turkey season this year? It's like once you complete your world slam, do you go back to just turkey hunting or what are you doing know. i was asking donald what we do so i've killed all my first birds with donald and um i said what do we do now because we we completed our world slam but we also completed our mexico slam so that's where you yes, you did you're cooled you're oscillated and you're real in mexico i don't know we're trying to think of it i'd love to go to africa i mean not it's not related to turkey hunting but i've never been and he has and i kind of want to um he, he said he wants to go back after a buffalo, and I wouldn't mind tagging tagging along, or go on a moose hunt or something. Or you know what we were talking about? Uh, it's a coos hunt with you. Oh man, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's fun. We uh, 
we went down scouting new ranches two weekends ago and found some great properties and um yeah that coos hunting is uh it's it's a lot of fun for sure yeah it looks amazing for, i mean I, watching, sure. I don't know much but i've I have some of your old videos that that EJ gave me a long time ago that I've I've watched, um, and and the pictures that you that you post are, are pretty amazing. I, I love that country. That cool it is amazing country. country. Amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, so, are you planning to hunt Illinois, or do you have any turkey hunting plans? Or? Yeah, so my my wife's pregnant with our fourth. So, uh, goodness, son, you've been busy. I know. Uh, <laughs> so she's doing July and with that week long hunt and I was just at a conference for a week um, she's got me on lockdown but I do have I have two permits in Illinois I have one um, uh, for Calhoun County which is near Pike County on the Mississippi and then I also have a public land uh, permit where it seems like if I go there um, and I walk into a certain spot, I hear birds, and I've killed one every single time on the first morning. So, knock on nice. wood. I got when does that start? April. Uh, I, my hunts. I got so Illinois does a weird thing where they have five separate seasons, or about week a week long each for a total spring season. So I think I'm on the third week, which is the twentieth or twenty second. I think it starts. So, gotcha. I mean, and then, and I got invited to go on Osceola hunt, but I just, I'd love to, but I just can't, I can't, not this year, to push it back yeah. to next year. You're out of time. Yeah. It was worth it. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Completing your world slam. That's, uh, there's some guys that do the world slam all in one year. Man, I think that would be a marathon, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, um. When I was going on a, to try to complete the Royal Slam with you last year, I tried to do a single season Royal Slam, and I didn't get, get past the Osceola. <laughs> yeah, I you got to have a lot of time on your hands because those birds just sometimes don't cooperate. Yeah, that's um. You let's see, you would have gotten it though, because didn't you get a Marion? You got everything but the Osceola, didn't you? No, I you kind of I kind of gave, gave up, up after on... I didn't get the Osceola. I didn't get the real. I mean, I could have gotten gone after a real. I just didn't. I wasn't willing to put my marriage on the line after I picked <laughs> no, but and I and I missed that marriage. So Donald, after Donald and I, after we left you, uh, Douglas, we went to Chama, New Mexico, and we went after the Merriams, and he got one, and I missed one um, after hiking seven miles on public a public place. I mean, it was it was the most amazing thing I've ever done. But I wish I would have killed that bird. But the one thing I will say is that I got to see a a cinnamon cub eating eating an elk because I missed that no. bird. So that was kind of cool. It was a good trade off. That is cool. That is cool. Well, man, it's been awesome having you on. And um, yeah, congrats on your uh, World Slam and. Tell Mr. EJ hello and tell Donald hello. And um, it's always great talking to you. And I appreciate you supporting the podcast. You, you've been supporting the podcast since I started it. I know we talked last year on the Goulds Hunt. And you were already listening to the podcast. And I appreciate that. And uh, you've actually given me some good business insight in regards to my podcast, which is always appreciated. So 
Um, thanks for your friendship and your support. And um, yeah, congrats on everything. And congrats on having number four coming up here in July. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And like, like you said, I mean, I've been listening to you since day one. You're doing such a great job. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the friendship. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Sounds good. You take care. Oh, you too. All right. God bless.